welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I'm your host, Ben Kreider, and today we are going to be recapping the Thunder's second game in the Salt Lake City Summer League, going up against the Memphis Grizzlies. Some of the top performers from that one, maybe a couple storylines in the mix as well, and how Jalen Williams has impacted the Thunder squad in the last two nights. And I'm also going to be telling you about who to be watching out for from the OKC Blue side of things in the Las Vegas Summer League. The Blue have a major roster turnover. For the most part, a lot of guys will be leaving, but from those members of the 2021-22 class, you will be able to see some in Las Vegas over the next 10 or so days. So I'll get you on track with that one. And I'm going to round it out with a very special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. So you do not want to miss out on that. Starting things out though with the Thunders game against the Memphis Grizzlies. I mean, the Thunder dominated on Tuesday. I think that there's no other side of that coin. They were leading by 20 plus points for most of the night. Got chopped down, but it was still a 98-77 to win. Chet Holmgren was the star of ESPN for the entire day. We're talking from the Scott Van Pelt show to, you know, Malika Andrews in the panel talking about him. I know Perkins compared him to Giannis and Kristaps a couple times. So, yeah, there was a lot of coverage going into the game. And facing up against the Memphis Grizzlies, this was a bit more of a formidable roster, which... It's probably a good thing for this Thunder squad. Utah, who they played on Tuesday, basically had Jared Butler and a lot of guys from a variety of G League organizations. They were looking to field probably a two-way contract out of this roster or some training camp battles. There were not established Utah Jazz players on their team. Not the same case for the Memphis Grizzlies, and you need to take into account some of the guys did not play. Xavier Tillman, Zaire Williams, Jake LaRavia, David Roddy. All those guys are pretty high up in the Grizzlies' pecking order. Didn't get to watch them, though. Santi Aldama notably dropped a double-double when the Jazz won, or the Grizzlies, excuse me, won by 73 last December. But they still had some very nice pieces out on the floor. Big-time name was Kenneth Lofton Jr. I said this in yesterday's pod. I've said this... Basically throughout his pre-draft process, but he's such a unique player. He started out at the G League Elite Camp uh, last month, and you know he had the stats: averaged sixteen and a half points and ten and a half boards for Louisiana Tech. But at six six, two hundred ninety some odd pounds, you know he's a very big guy, and that can be a deterrent. So he didn't get his name called in the draft, but he goes to the Grizzlies, who are just known for having these big back-to-basket guys amazing footwork and this is the appropriate challenge for the Thunder I think the Thunder did a really good job being in Salt Lake City this year in particular because Chet Holmgren is going to be fielding minutes here Lofton's a big burly dude and they have a track record both of them were on the U19 team together so he can kind of pick his spots and to begin this game Chet Holmgren was sort of a non-factor almost and he turned things around but when you were looking through social media you were just looking at the first five minutes of the game you would have thought Kenneth Lofton Jr. just dominated from start to finish because he got the first Memphis points it was basically 
a uh, supposed to be handoff, but he kept it himself. Backed Holmgren down. Couple back downs and Holmgren's way under the rim. Not able to get a block. Easy basket off the glass. Next score for the Grizzlies. Same exact play. Copy and paste. Lofton backs down Holmgren. Gets exactly where he needs to. Kisses it off the glass. It's a 4-2 lead for the Memphis Grizzlies. And everyone's off their seats. And, you know, we'll say it's for good reason. When you're going up against a 7-foot-1 center such as Holmgren, if you're able to yield success, that is a big-time accomplishment. So Holmgren, you know, he was... Doing a pretty good job in terms of positioning. You're not going to win all the battles, but the first two shots went in for Lofton, and then he strolled up left wing and nailed a three. So Kenny Lofton was just on a roll to begin the contest for the Grizzlies, and you know the Thunder, they had a little bit of an uphill battle that they needed to establish because it was just the Kenny Lofton show. 10-7 lead, Lofton had the seven of those first 10 points for the Grizzlies, but then you start to th- see things kind of turn around, and it was just through the consistent offensive attack we saw on Tuesday. Josh Giddy, Chet Holmgren, Jalen Williams, J-Dub. Holmgren hit a three earlier in the game, but then it just turned into the three-man group of Giddy, Holmgren, and J-Dub just finding buckets. J-Dub ends up getting a reverse dunk off of an Alexei Pokashevsky assist. And then the very next play, easy three-point shot for J-Dub. Five points in a span of about 30 seconds for him. Leads back with OKC, and they just continue to ride on this little streak. First five points for uh, J-Dub. Ends up spiraling into 11 consecutive points for the Thunder. And they were up 18-10 to 10 in the mid-portion of the first quarter. They just continue to ball out, and they walk out of the first quarter with a 20-20 to game. So they did slow down a little bit, but you had some very good moments from the rookies. In particular, your lottery picks in J-Dub and uh, Chet Holmgren. Holmgren had seven points in the first quarter. One of them was a moving mid-range where, you know, he just chucked it up. Really hard to contest that type of shot right through the net. If you're the Grizzlies, you don't really complain about it. You just get to the next possession. You have to basically double-team Holmgren on that shot, and it's still going to be a a nightmare trying to genuinely contest him on these types of looks. So he was effective on the offensive front. Jalen Williams was also kind of feeling it in the first quarter. And even though like the main story came from the first two minutes or so of the game, OKC was still sitting pretty and how they had distributed everything uh, across the board. And as soon as they got into the second quarter, they just continued to stay on target, get right back to business, and look towards J-Dub for some more production. Jalen Williams was not a three-point shooter on Tuesday. He was an on-ball cutter because Utah did not pack the paint. This is something that teams will be doing I believe basically every regular season game this season, the Thunder, even though they've added good shooters, they're still probably going to be one of the lower teams in terms of the three-point shooting category. They were second worst in history since tracking began nine seasons ago in terms of catch-and-shoot percentage, and they barely edged out the Detroit Pistons, who were led by Josh Smith at the time, and they doubled the output on those shots. So... 
they're not that amazing there. And teams, I think once you get into the 82 game schedule, are going to pack the paint. They're not going to allow SGA and Josh Gideon to take one-on-one situations off a screen. They're going to force a kick out to the corner. But in this situation against Utah, that was non-existent. This time against the Grizzlies, it was. So this was more of a traditional basketball game for the Thunder, which I think they needed. I'm more excited that teams are making defensive adjustments than letting it be just a YMCA game of sorts. So that allowed for J-Dub to really blossom and show the other element of his game that we didn't get to see on Tuesday, which is just how he's able to stretch the floor. Three three-point shots went in for him in the first half, ended up having 12 by the end of two quarters, and really everybody was firing on all cylinders. The Thunder had a five-point lead going into halftime, and when you look at the actual statistical breakdown for your big three, which is Chet, Giddy. And what you have with J-Dub, really good statistics. This is what you had through six quarters. Holmgren had 34 points on 10 of 13 shooting. J-Dub had 29 points on 12 of 18 shooting. And Josh Giddey had 24 points on 10 of 19 shooting. So that little trifecta shot 64% from the field. That's 32 of 50. That's going to be very difficult to beat in terms of production. And for the Grizzlies, who... Did not have that many rostered guys. They had Lofton on the two-way deal. They had Vince Williams, who was their second-round pick. You know, they kind of struggled to uh, keep on speed because, yes, they could get into the interior a couple times, but you're not going to win the basketball game off of bully-balling Chet Holmgren the entire time. And Chet Holmgren stood his ground after the first outburst by Lofton. And then shots were just missing left and right. They couldn't hit three-point shots to save their lives. And that's going to put you in a very difficult situation if you can't get back to speed in the third quarter. They were not able to do that. OKC was up 15 points going into the fourth quarter. And it was just a matter of sort of holding on as they got into the home stretch. And on Tuesday, there was really no hiccups here. They just had a smooth sailing lead. The Jazz, or excuse me, I keep mixing up the two, the Grizzlies, they continued to kind of knock on the door. They never broke it open in this game, but you started to see them creep into single digits as you got into the final three minutes of this game. It was an 11-point lead for OKC with 323 left, and then they started to get shots going. Lindy Waters had six consecutive points for the team, and that called game. OKC takes this one 87-71. That's going to give them a 2-0 start in the Utah Summer League, and they wrap things up tonight against the Philadelphia 76ers. If they are able to win this one, they walk into Las Vegas with an undefeated 3-0 record. I want to talk about more of the stats in this game as opposed to just the ebbs and flows in one second here. But first, I want to let you all know about a very special offer going on with my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. The action never ends at DraftKings Sportsbook, especially this summer. With tons of ways to bet on all your favorite sports, you can fuel your fandom and feel the heat of the season like never before. Plus, right now, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving new customers a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's right. Make your first bet up to $1,000, and if it doesn't win, you'll get another shot to cash in. You can throw down on all the major action for baseball, golf, MMA, and more. 
upcoming and starting today we have the las vegas summer league commencing i don't know if you were able to vote on the champ but the thunder they look like a pretty strong team if everybody carries over into las vegas even right now in utah they are making some noise make some bets on who's gonna score what if you guys have been betting on Jada of the last two games, I am certain you've probably been cashing out. He has been monstrous, and hopefully that continues against the 76ers. If you guys are interested in the offer, here is what you have to do. Go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Make your first deposit and get a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's promo code TBPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Going into the stat sheet from Wednesday's game. Still some history in the making. Not one that's going to catch the Sports Center headlines. But how about this? Josh Giddy, who was just dropping triple-double left and right, you know, tying records with Oscar Robertson in February, I believe it was. He gets a triple-double again. In the Summer League game, 14 points, 10 rebounds, and 10 assists for him. It's pretty obvious that he does not need to be playing on a Summer League floor. He is one of the better players, uh, second-year players, that is going to be out there. And I don't even know if we should see him in Vegas. It might be time to sunset him after playing against Philadelphia. But he just had the Grizzlies kind of spinning in circles at some points. One thing that I really love is the DHO that Cameron Woods has chalked up where uh, the handoff goes to Giddy and then he slices to the basket. You see this a lot in the inbound plays as well. He's able to just sneak inside one-on-one. At six foot eight. he's able to take contact and score with either hand. That's going to make him a very effective scorer, obviously. And then even with the foul department, he didn't get a lot in this game, but on Tuesday, he got to the line early and often. And the pick and pop department, though, still able to hit home grin, and he's able to hit just about everybody on open shots. So he had a hell of a night. Chet Holmgren, he went kind of under the radar. You might say it was a bad game for him, but he still had a double-double. If a double-double is your bad game, you are one hell of a basketball player, and that's exactly what Chet Holmgren is. 11 points and 12 rebounds for him, played 26 minutes, 3 of 11 from the floor, started 1 of 1 from 3, and then missed 5 consecutive. It just wasn't his night from the shooting uh, side of things. And, you know, you could say that he got dominated. He did not get dominated on defense. I'll go into the numbers. But he did look a little bit exhausted for the back portion of this game. So, don't know how much fatigue was actually setting in or if it just appeared that way. Um, But... You know, he definitely needs some breathers in this one. He wasn't dropping 13 in the first quarter like last game. Still a very positive night for him, though. And Gideon Holmgren are two for two on postgame interviews. And Holmgren was the one who dragged Giddy in on Tuesday. Yesterday, Giddy's the one who dragged in Holmgren. So they'll try to go three for three tonight. How about Jalen Williams, though? J-Dub leading the team in scoring with 16 points across 22 minutes. He had 17 points in 26 minutes on Tuesday, 5 of 9 from the field, and 3 of 3 from distance. He was dominating at all three levels. He was not able to play much on ball on Tuesday, and he really didn't play much on ball either yesterday. 
but there were more opportunities for him to have the basketball at the perimeter, and it allowed for him to take straight line drives to the basket and also just pop threes off of some handoffs. He's the only Thunder player still perfect from distance. He's 4 of 4 right now. And if you're talking the most complete scorer in the Summer League, you have to include Jalen Williams. It's either him or Keegan Murray, to be quite honest with you. Just based on how he's played, both cutting to the basket, but also creating for himself. And we're going to see him creating more opportunities and, and potentially passing opportunities for his teammates once they stroll into Vegas. But right now, he is clear-cut one of the top five players in Salt Lake City. And when you kind of stack everybody together... I think he's going to be, you know, one of the highest scorers leading into it as well. I think he is fourth in the Utah Summer League currently, but if you weed out guys who only played one game, he's second right behind Chet Holmgren. 16.5 point average right there, and he's shooting 65% from the field. Just everything you could have asked for with J-Dub, he has provided. And I said it on draft day, I said it on, during my draft guide speech um I think it would have been Thursday morning of the draft you know I mentioned that J-Dub was going to be probably pegged to reach at his spot just because his background and because many maybe have not heard of him compared to like an AJ Griffin or something but he was the best fit for the Thunder and he is proving that that OKC got exactly what they needed in Jalen Williams at 12. Usman Jang did not play particularly well in this game either, he did not play great on Tuesday. Two of nine from the field, six points, five rebounds, and two assists. It's interesting because Jang was selected to be like a ball handler. That's what it looked like from the surface. He was a raw shooter. What you were evaluating was he can handle the basketball pretty fluidly at 6'10", and he can make some passes. I think because Giddy is in the rotation, he hasn't been able to have as many on-ball reps but he just hasn't looked to put the ball on the deck and create just yet. And I think that's really why you're starting to see him be inefficient right now. From three-point land, he shot two of five, which is pretty good. Um, you do need to find some consistency. I think you can tell that J-Dub and Usman are on two different wavelengths. J-Dub's more plug-and-play, let's get things rolling right now, where Usman was almost that like luxury pickup where... OKC sees a lot of potential in him. They had those three draft picks that, honestly, I don't think they could have all used. Uh, so they kind of cashed in all their chips for a guy that has potential you probably would not find outside of the lottery in most drafts. So it's a worthwhile risk. It's going to take some time, as we've kind of seen here. Maybe he drops down to the blue instance, but I think Vegas is probably where we see him and J-Dub control the basketball just a little bit more than what we have seen as of late. Lindy Waters had 11, Eugene Amarui had 10 points, pretty good all around as they had five scores in double figures. Still, I don't think the national media is going to be looking at OKC winning by 17 points and J-Dub playing out of his mind. It's going to be Kenneth Lofton having 19 points, playing a lot against Chet Holmgren, he had four fouls in the first half. He shot 17 times to get 19 points. I'm going to give him credit where credit is due. He is one heck of a player in the post. And when he was working on Chet Holmgren, you had to give him respect. Was he steamrolling over him every possession? Absolutely not. But he definitely did a really good job against Holmgren. 
and a way better job than what Utah showed. He could have been the best matchup Holmgren has faced in Vegas or Utah, and you really wouldn't bat an eye. Because of his build, because of his strength, he's able to kind of work you around the post, and because he's able to manipulate him with you know his footwork, you can get some really good looks. So he did slow down, but it was still a very positive game for him. I think he was player of the game for the Grizzlies, and they're going to be moving on to their third and final game, against the Utah Jazz, I probably would put my money on the Grizz just based on how everything shaped up for them. OKC has been dominant though in the Utah circuit. As I said, 2-0, looking to go 3-0 against Philly at 5 p.m. today. One thing that's getting glossed over though is just the inside force the OKC Thunder have brought. And Kenneth Lofton, I think, kind of made this factor uh, hidden if you will, but OKC has outscored opponents 90-44 to in the paint the last two days. That's a plus 46 advantage. The Grizzlies, despite Lofton staying hot to open the game, only had 22 points in the paint. The Jazz also had 22 points in the paint. Holmgren, even if he's not stopping you one-on-one, still is able to kind of like field so much space inside He's going to deject players from looking to attack the basket. And when guards attack, they're going to need to look to dump it off because it's a very hard shot to take on someone such as Chet Holmgren. So they did a stellar job in forcing teams out to the perimeter. And that's the ultimate reason why they've won by double figures in both of their games. The Philadelphia 76ers are no joke. Paul Reed did not play yesterday but if he's back this is the matchup I'm really waiting for Paul Reed was the clear-cut MVP in the G League bubble season this is a guy that um, I have an Instagram story receipt which is odd but I wanted the Thunder to take him at 34 I said either take him or Teo they took Teo so I was a happy camper in the 2020 draft but Paul Reed is a very athletic seven or six foot nine center He's able to stretch the floor, and he's very good around the basket. I think that's another great challenge for Holmgren, and it's going to force him to play at the perimeter, which he hasn't really had to do yet. So I really, really want Paul Reed to be lining up for the team. Trey Mann's going to be back. He's out of health and safety protocols, so we're going to look out for that. But those are the big, big factors. I want to talk a little bit more on Jalen Williams before we get into the G League talk here. So we're just going to get right into it. I already mentioned that J-Dub has been very, very difficult to stop these last two games. 17 points on Tuesday, 16 points yesterday, and he's looking to go for three consecutive double-digit games against Philly. He's going to be one of the hottest names going into Vegas, and if you aren't looking, you're not going to notice. He has slid under the radar both nights, I'd say, in particular on Tuesday. Uh, but the secret's out. I, I think that saying that Jalen Williams is a stud is you're kind of late to the party almost. Maybe you're you're getting in on the right time. But if you were going to say you were quick to the call, the train has kind of gotten off the station a little bit, if you will. It's not a secret. Jalen Williams is a really good player for this Thunder group. And his numbers back it up. So he played a collective 48 minutes so far in the Summer League. And he's posted 33 points, 8 rebounds, and 3 steals shooting 13 of 20 from the field. I'm going to kind of note back to the stats from earlier, but in the Utah Summer League, 
Chet Holmgren leads scorers in players who have played two games, so both of them, and that's at 17 points. J-Dub is right behind at 16.5, and And then at 3, Josh Giddy averages 14 points. Everybody else who was kind of wedged above them only played one game, and that's Paul Reed and Isaiah Joe from the Philadelphia 76ers. If you combine both the Utah Summer League and the California Classic, Keegan Murray is the clear-cut best scorer right now. He averaged 19.7 points, but this is still very respectable for J-Dub. And for, you know, a lot of people who didn't know what to expect, I think he's really shown what kind of indent he can make on the Thunder roster. And you can make the call that these reps don't matter. Summer League games don't mean anything. That's not true. I think that, yeah, if someone's the Summer League MVP, you're not guaranteed to be a star. Like, I think Josh Selby might have been the G or the uh, Summer League MVP one year, and that didn't pan out for him. But... For the most part, if you're a baller in a summer league circuit, you're going to get attention, you're going to get a training camp invite, and then you're able to really uncover somebody. So these games do matter significantly, but I think for someone that's already secured a roster spot, this isn't about uh, necessarily proving yourself. Of course it is, but it's more of allowing the coaches to find a good role for you or see what the best placement will be for you moving into the regular season. And Jalen Williams has shown that he can do multiple different things for this Thunder squad. There's not a big sample size, but everything we've seen has pointed to it. So I already talked about Utah and how that game broke down. Utah just didn't make any defensive adjustments. I'm going to give them props though. Last night, they did a hell of a job against the 76ers. They made the correct defensive adjustments. They were really scrappy on ball. Um, but they end up losing. Um, that's not, that's not the big thing, obviously, (laughs) but they didn't do this on Tuesday. They basically clung to everybody at the perimeter. It was man to man the entire night and off of a high ball screen, you never saw anybody collapse from the corner, which is what they should have been doing. You need to force Josh Giddy to kick it out to a corner. Don't give them an easy read where it's a one-on-one for Giddy or, you're drawing all your attention there and Chet Holmgren gets a wide open top of the key triple. You force your non-stars to make plays and the Jazz were comfortable with just letting the stars run the show. But outside of that two-man group, you had J-Dub emerge as that third piece by really just forcing himself into the equation. The plays were not set up for J-Dub to be shooting on catch and shoots because of the coverage. What he did, though, was he lurked at the corner or he handed the ball off to Holmgren and he just immediately darted into the, the paint. He was the cutting connoisseur, if you will, on Tuesday. Just cut after cut after cut. He made eight field goals on Tuesday. Seven of them came from the painted area. And the only one that was a three-pointer was his final shot. So he virtually only played inside And he didn't really move much on the ball to get those shots. There were a few where he did start from like the left wing, drove inside and got the correct angle. But for the most part, he had to work off of others and kind of the passing vision that the Thunder had. Yesterday, you had that eliminated due to the floor spacing, but he still became a really good player. There were some possessions where he stole the basketball, took it the other way, and scored in transition. But in a half-court situation, he was just waiting at the three-point line to get the basketball and then work. 
And what I mean by that is he was just taking it right off the catch, immediately getting to his shot release, and he was converting at a perfect clip. No misses for him. And he has been virtually spotless in these first two games. The thing with J-Dub is, you know, there's more to his game than what we've even seen. And even if this was all we got, where he's a really good advanced cutter and he can shoot off the catch, that's like what the Thunder have needed for so long at the position. But you have to look at his defensive frame. I didn't evaluate his defense heavily um, that much in my article on him today. But you guys can look at the college film breakdown I did. You can find that on si.com slash NBA slash Thunder. But this is a six foot six, seven foot two wingspan guard who is very good in passing lanes and just disrupting you in terms of isolating to the basket. This is with multiple positions, by the way. On the other side of that, he's also able to use that wingspan to take contact on drives and score, but also create at all three levels. He has a very good handle. He can create off the dribble for himself, and then even in the passing game, he averaged over four assists per game with Santa Clara last year. That's something that will translate. So he's an on or off ball offensive masterpiece, but defensively too, you cannot underestimate the impact he's able to make. The Thunder have just swung over and over again at wings that have a seven foot wingspan. Eugene Omaruyi has a seven two wingspan. Melvin Frazier Jr. had a seven foot two wingspan. Even the guys like Andre Roberson think he was right on the doorstep of seven feet. So for the Thunder to find somebody with this build they've just gone at over and over again, who has the offensive skill set they've been looking for, is big time. And, you know, I think that when you look at how this Thunder rotation kind of shapes up going into next regular season, I wouldn't be shocked if J-Dub is like the seventh or eighth man in the rotation, probably the backup shooting guard with Trey Mann as at um, number one at the PG spot, but you can really see him working on or off the ball with or without anybody on the floor. Mann is basically a a piece of Play-Doh. Like, just throw him out there. Whatever the situation is going to be, he's going to kind of shape his way into whatever role is necessary, and that's a very valuable type of player to have, and we still have not seen the full package yet, which is what makes this so exciting because he has been easily one of the top five best players we've been watching so far. But there is still other areas where, you know, you haven't seen him and, and the bar can only go higher from this point. So watching him conclude in Utah is going to be great. Trevlin' Queen might be one of his matchups, which will be super fun on both sides of the basketball. Trevlin' Queen was the G League Finals MVP and I believe the regular season MVP as well with the Rio Grande Valley Vipers so that's a really good score and then when you have guys like Paul Reed and Charles Bassey in the front court it's going to provide some tests for Trent Holmgren as well so I really like the way that everything has kind of formed around the rookies and how they have to play in tonight's game I want to talk about other members though from the OKC Blue Squad that will be competing in the Las Vegas Summer League, in addition to one member of last year's Blue Squad who is with the Thunder right now. So, if you guys know this already, I'm going to say it again. I've been covering the OKC Blue for the last two seasons. They're a really good organization. Their track record is really hard to top for the last four seasons. OKC has signed one of their two-way players to... 
a multi-year contract. So they have been on fire in that aspect, but also other guys like Omer Yurt7 and Alex Caruso started out with the OKC Blue, and now they're rotational players in the NBA. So if you're with the Blue, it's going to give you a very good skill set to improve upon. And even when you're not on the roster, you go overseas, you go to a different affiliate, always got to be rooting for them because they were impacted by the Blue organization. It's going to give them a step to where the ultimate goal is at the NBA level, kind of telling them what they need to be to crack into the NBA, giving them that blueprint and just watching them flourish, if you will. So Lindy Waters III is the big one from this. He already played yesterday with the Thunder, but he goes from a two-way contract last year to still being a two-way contract this year. One season ago, he was not able to make the Thunder's Summer League team, snuck into the Blues' uh, regular season roster, and hardly played in the Winter Showcase Cup. But in the regular season, which was from January till, I believe, April or May, he just balled out. He was pulled out by February and played with the OKC Thunder. We all know him. We all love him. He's a sharpshooter. He's able to put up points very quickly. Averaged eight points last season with the Thunder. So we should see him in the five games in Las Vegas. Olivier Saar will be with the Phoenix Suns. Saar was not much of an OKC Blue player. It's a very eerily similar story to Omer Yurt7, actually, because Yurt7 was an efficient G League player, but he actually was a bench guy because Moses Brown was ahead of him. Now, I think most would say Yurt7 is the better player than Moses Brown, and based on the contract situation, I guess that could back it up. With Saar... He was the backup center behind DJ Wilson, and Saar got a two-way deal from the Thunder. Originally, he was working with 10-day deals, and he was a beast on his two-way contract. Whenever he got waived for Melvin Frazier Jr., there was a lot of backlash almost. I'm not going to call it backlash, but some were unhappy because they believed Saar was part of the blueprint. Saar is a really good traditional center, and the way he played with the Thunder kind of backs that teams should be looking for him. He averaged 7 points and 4.2 rebounds in OKC, and he shot close to 45% on threes. So he was a hot commodity after the Thunder didn't pick him up. He worked out with the Los Angeles Lakers earlier last month, and he winds up with Phoenix. I think he has a really good shot to make training camp, but also make the roster because DeAndre Ayton doesn't look like he's going to be a son anymore. That leaves really no young five for the team. I know they just traded for Landale, but they still need a third center, you know, under the assumption Aiton is gone. And Saar, not only is he going to be a solid role-playing center, but he also has some potential because he is going to be entering his sophomore season. Xavier Simpson is playing with the Orlando Magic. Simpson has been basically an icon in the Blue organization the last two years. Going into the bubble, he was a first-round pick in the G League draft, led the team in assists, was a very good addition, but we didn't see him much with on-ball scoring just due to how they played and really the dominance they had on the interior. Returns this season, and you see him as that maestro, not just as a passer, but as a scorer as well. And this is where Captain Hook kind of got his nickname... Uh, push to the front yet again. 
He was one of the stars of the G League this season, averaged 14.8 points, 5.1 rebounds, and 6.5 assists. And then he got to play for the Thunder to close the year out, and he actually was supposed to be signed to a 10-day in December, but he had a positive COVID test, and then he had a return of the blue. Seemed like he wasn't going to play again, or wouldn't have that chance to play in the NBA. Gets one. And he was really good to close the year. Averaged 11 points and 7.5 rebounds, or 7.5 assists, excuse me, with the Thunder across his final four games. He's going to be going to Orlando, like I mentioned. The Magic have a solidified four-guard unit right now, but they could still get that gash filled for like a third stringer who could play point guard or shooting guard. Simpson, 6-1, he's only going to be playing the one. But they do have a history of signing guards, true point guards, to two-way contracts. And Xavier Simpson is eligible for a two-way deal. This is going to be his third season as a professional. And he's shown enough consistency. I think that's where he could land if he remains with Orlando, um, if he doesn't end up getting that standard contract. But he's a very good player that I expect to make it somebody's 20-man training camp. DJ Wilson, I expect him to maybe even get a standard contract, especially because he's returning for the Toronto Raptors. Wilson was one of the most dominant players in the Winter Showcase games. When he got into the Showcase Cup with the Thunder, this is a three-game, eight-team tournament where, you know, it's single elimination. First two games, he averaged 25.5 points and 12.5 rebounds. Clearly the best player out on the floor. They go into the finals. Chance of a $100,000 prize. Wilson gets signed to a 10-day contract by the Raptors. And he is gone. Thunder lose the game. I think it was the... I think it was the Bluecoats, actually, that won the finale. But Wilson played with the Raptors. Got another 10-day contract. Then he got sent back down to the Blue got a third 10-day from the Raptors, and then he had a season-ending knee injury. So, he was on the cusp of returning to the NBA. This is a former first-round pick. He's had five years in the NBA. You know, this was his chance to break out with a team on the fringe of, you know, a playoff spot. But, no dice there, and he had to return to the blue, basically as a pickup, like just to have his rights reacquired. Now he's back with the Raptors and he has unfinished business because I really do think had he not injured himself, he would have gotten the team's final uh, spot on roster. They ended up signing Armani Brooks after Wilson and he got the standard deal out of things. But, you know, the Raptors need some help in the front court. I think a lot of teams need some help at the four and five And one of the things about the G League is many players look to average 30 points per game. And if they have two assists per game, well, whatever. I dropped 30. That's not how NBA scouts look at things. That's not how NBA personnel look at things. They look at who's going to give a lot of production in a set role. You're meant to be the 15th man when you join an NBA roster out of the G League. And DJ Wilson is able to be that 15th man for a playoff team. Very good interior skills, solid rebounder. He wasn't a very good stretch five this year, but 
he did show enough skills and enough consistency to show that, yeah, he does deserve another crack at it. So I really hope he's back with Toronto. He'll be on that 20-man uh, training camp roster. There's no doubt about that. It's just whether he breaks into the NBA ranks yet again on a standard deal. Melvin Frazier Jr., he's with the Minnesota Timberwolves, and he also played the last two years with the Blue, but his role really picked up last season where um, he was a starter, and he was a very good player off the catch, averaged about 14 points per game, and then he was traded at the deadline for Robert Woodard II, who played five games with the Blue. He's with the San Antonio Spurs for the Summer League. Uh, but it was a very small stint for him. Frazier, though, he gets moved to the Iowa Wolves. That's the Timberwolves G League affiliate. And then the Thunder got him on that two-way deal to end the season. So they actually took his G League rights in the process of that, which is hilarious when you think about it because the Thunder actually upgraded their uh, first-round G League draft pick. They went from a second-rounder to a first-rounder, and... Then they get Frazier back. So it almost looked like they got a free pickup grade. But now he's back with the T-Wolves, so that's gone. I bet it's an Exhibit 10, so he would be playing with the Iowa Wolves if he decides to play in the G League. Uh, but he's a man on a mission. He's looking to actually break the rotation. He has the perfect type, uh, archetype, if you will, for a wing. Identical to Jalen Williams, six foot six, seven foot two wingspan. I loved him out of Tulane. I really thought he would be a very big player in the league. I think Orlando just totally botched up his situation and how he was able to play with them. I think he's only played about 32, 33 NBA games, which is ridiculous given he got drafted, I think, four years ago. Now it would be. So it's been a, a really big journey for Melvin Frazier, no doubt about it. There is some light at the end of the tunnel with the T-Wolves. There's a better opportunity with the Wolves than I think there would be with the Thunder organization, just based on his size and based on the T-Wolves, you know, looking to kind of move into the playoff conversation after that Gobert trade. Melvin Frazier is more of that 15th man, I think that based on his situation and based on him not being able to get a two-way contract anymore, it's sort of all or nothing in a sense, but I bet he's a, a training camp guy at least, and then he can fight. Robert Woodard II with the Spurs, hardly played with the blue. He still gets credit though. Also, a player that should make that 20-man training camp roster. He had a two-way deal last year with the Spurs. It's also funny because the Sacramento Kings drafted Woodard, but because they didn't have their G League affiliate in the G League bubble two years ago, they actually played Woodard on the Austin Spurs, so their personnel got to scout him. They got to meet him. And then what do you know? They pluck him out of the Blues rotation and they're looking to make an NBA player out of him. No Jeremy Sohan, no Isaiah Roby for the Spurs in Las Vegas. So he should be getting enough minutes to turn some heads in the process. That's going to round it up for the players in the Las Vegas Summer League. That's six OKC Blue members. Notables who are not playing. Jamias Ramsey and Rob Edwards are out of the picture. No Yorgos Kalixakis or Jalen Horde. Scotty Hobson and Justin Jaworski have signed overseas. But that basically does it for the OKC Blue. 
2021-22 roster. Hope that some of these guys are able to pick up some NBA contracts. They deserve it. They were one of the most fun teams to watch in the G League last year. Coverage on them has been spectacular, uh, but we'll see who sticks around moving on into next season. Other than that, though, guys, that is going to do it for today's episode. I thank you all for listening, and I'll talk to you all next time. See ya.